Good morning. <laughs> Before I, I've been at Harding School of Theology the last 10 years as the director of admissions, but much of my ministry before that was in campus ministry, and so I'm honored to be in the church where Cade Richards grew up. Uh, I, I love him as, as a brother in Christ, but as a fellow campus minister, uh, that's, that's important to me. My life was changed by campus ministry, and I'm excited uh, to be in a church where... times and different seasons in life. There I go. I apologize for having the voice that needs to be amplified. I, I think uh, last week Gary Jackson was here and I don't know if he needed a mic at all, but uh, I, I'm that guy, sorry. Um, I want to start by telling you the uh, story of Bessie Coleman. Do I know what I'm doing here? It says on, but I'm not getting a forward. There, oh, there we go. No? Can you go forward? Can you advance for me? I want to start by telling you the Bessie Coleman story. Uh, Bessie Coleman was born in 1892. Her parents were sharecroppers. Uh, they had never learned to read, but Bessie was a bright girl and was able to go to school and she completed all eight of the grades that were available to her as a young black girl in Texas uh, around 1900. But she was bright, she wanted to go to college, so she worked as a laundress and saved money and was able to go to college. But money only lasts so long, so she was only able to be there for a year and she had to drop out. She went back home to Texas and worked as a laundress again. But then in 1915, she moved to Chicago and became a manicurist where she was able to make a little bit more money. Uh, she was able to, uh, uh, to, to be independent. In fact, she was able to save some money. And while she was there in Chicago, she kept hearing these stories of these World War I pilots. I don't know if y'all remember Snoopy and the Sopwith Camel flying his doghouse around in the Red Baron. It, those probably weren't the stories she heard, but she was hearing stories about all of these flyers, and that really captured her attention. It captured her passion. She said, I am going to fly. But in Chicago in 1920, there weren't any black aviators. There weren't any aviation schools that would accept black in fact, there weren't any aviation schools that would accept women. And so you know what Bessie Coleman did? She said, I need to learn French. So she spent a year, she learned French, and she moved to France, where there was a famous aviation school and also a more equalitarian society. So Bessie moved to France. And in June 15, 1921, Bessie was awarded her international pilot's license. Bessie was the first African-American woman to earn an international pilot's license. In fact, she was the first African-American to earn an international pilot's license. In fact, she was the first American woman to earn... In fact, she was the first American to earn an international pilot's license. Uh, 
So she was, came home a hero. She was celebrated. She was committed to, to helping encourage aviation among African Americans. She had a goal, I'm going to open a school to open doors that were not open for me. So she committed to opening a school for black aviators. And back in, in the 1921-22, what you have to do back then is you go and you talk to anybody in the world that you think might be interested in aviation. So she spoke to church groups. She went down to the theater when they were showing the movies and she would get up before the, the movie started and talk about aviation. She was an evangelist for aviation. She wanted there to be people who were committed to African Americans being able to fly. In 1923, she bought her first airplane and she headed to California for her first West Coast show. She crashed on the way. She was in the hospital for three months. It took 18 months for her to recover. And then she was back to work trying to find financial backers for a series of shows in Texas. And those shows in Texas were amazing. She was a stunt flyer. She would parachute in. She was a hero. She was actually making a lot of money and getting ready to be able to open her flying school. And so she finally had enough money to buy her own plane again. Things were looking up. On April 30th of 1926, she was preparing for the first show in this new plane that she bought. And her co-pilot was flying, and they were up circling the area looking for the best place to parachute in. And a wrench fell into the engine. The plane spun, threw her out. She died. The plane crashed. The co-pilot died. Bessie Coleman's story is a story of incredible ups and downs, isn't it? As she traveled through life, she was able to go to school. She had to drop out of school. She got a plane. She crashed a plane. She couldn't find a teacher. She got a license. She crashed but was able to go back and make money. She just when things are looking up, she dies in a tragic plane crash. Her life was topsy-turvy, wasn't it? It was full of ups and downs and highs and lows, the unexpected changes, good or bad, and she never knew when life was going to take one of these crazy turns. Life, in all of its intricacy, all of its ups and downs, all of its ins and outs, is uncertain, and humans, with all of our pride, have little control over the twists and turns of life. Isn't that right? I mean, that's what, that's what the prayer time and announcements were all about, wasn't it? That's what life as a family in a church is all about. And Bessie Coleman never reached her goal, but here a hundred years later, I'm telling her story. She never accomplished what she wanted to accomplish, but a hundred years later, her story, her life, is an inspiration and a courage, encouragement and a challenge to us a hundred years later. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. 
A time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, a time to gather them, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. When we read this text, we often stop at this point and study this part of the text in isolation. There is a time for everything. I don't know how many of y'all are old enough to remember the birds. For everything, there's a season, turn, turn, turn. Well, they, they stopped there. They just studied this part of the text in their song. Sorry, I don't have a more modern example for, the, for anybody younger than me. But if we continue just a few more verses, there really are some important insights. What do workers get from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. God has created us as humans to live, to grow, to die. As we pass through various seasons of life, there's a right time for everything that we experience. There's a right time to experience the joys and sorrows, the challenges, the triumphs, the beginning, the new birth, and the end, the death, the end of life. God has appointed these times, and living life in the moment is a beautiful way to honor and submit to God's majesty and power. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Yet God has also put eternity in our hearts. We want to know the past and the present and the future, right? We want to understand how do all of these things fit together? How does life work? We talk about time to weep and time to laugh. Why is it my time to weep and my time to laugh? We, we think about the past, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm haunted with regret of the things that I've done in the past. I, I experience the pain of, of searing loss and, and being betrayed and being abandoned. Things I've done, people I've hurt, wounds inflicted by those I trust. And yet, sometimes I also live in fear of the future. What does the future hold? Thinking about financial situations and, and, and losing jobs, thinking about health issues and, and, and health scares, thinking uh, as, as a parent, thinking about my children. What does the future hold? And so I, I'm, I'm living sometimes with regret for the past, and I'm living with fear of the future, and, and I'm not really living in the presence. God has put eternity in my heart. I want to know why. I want to know what. But here I am, paralyzed, standing with one foot in the past and one in the future. Is that really living? 
in the present? Ecclesiastes acknowledges that God has put eternity in our hearts, but his purpose and his work throughout time is beyond human comprehension. It's hard to live in the present, especially in the midst of trials and struggles. It's hard to live in the present. So what are we supposed to do? What's the godly response to uncertainty? What's the godly response to an inability to change the path past and an inability to control the future, a kind of, of powerlessness, a fatalistic reality of life beyond our control? Live well and wisely in the present. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Living well and wisely, no matter what season of life you're in, is indeed a beautiful thing. Be happy, do good, enjoy drinking and, and eating, and, and find satisfaction in your job, your work, whatever it is. Accept the present as God's gift and take joy in the life he offers you. Y'all probably know the old hymn that says, We'll understand it all by and by. I grew up in rural Georgia. We sang that like it took eternity. But we'll understand it. Cheer up, my brother. We'll understand it all by and by. I'm not even sure that that's true. I don't know that we're ever actually going to understand everything. God doesn't owe me an explanation. But I do know that it's hard to step back in the midst of trials and in the midst of struggles and get the big picture of what God is doing. But even if I never fully comprehend God's work from beginning to end, I am rejoicing because I am part of God's plan. God is at work in my past and in my future, and God is at work in my presence, and he doesn't require my understanding to do his great work. Amen? I'm on his mind. God's got this. So here is a good question to ask. What can you pour yourself into now that has never come before and will never pass this way again? Let me say that again. What can you pour yourself into right now that has never come before and will never pass this way again? What is it about where you are now what is it about your season of life, your stage of life, that has opened doors that were closed before and that has closed doors that were open before? Are you living in the past? Are you afraid of the future? Are you dissatisfied with the present? There are no easy answers. But I encourage you to look back, step back, and look at your situation in life and recognize that every stage of life is just that. It's a stage of life. And every stage of life has a beginning and an end. Don't fall for the myth of the balanced life. The balanced life is a myth. I don't know about your experience, but there isn't any stage of life that perfectly lines up the way I want it to. Anybody else like that? Or is it just me? There's no stage of life that's perfectly balanced where you feel like you can do everything just as much as you need to do. You can accomplish everything that you want to do without neglecting other things. That's not how life works. A young mom chasing kids around all day is probably needs to be less concerned about is all the laundry done in a timely fashion. If I'm 
if I'm a retired and not, uh, not going to work, I probably have some things I can do as a retiree that I, that I couldn't do. Anybody here ever been involved in evangelistic grandparenting? There are things that we can do in, in various stages that we can't do any other time of life. Somebody working retail may not be able to spend as much time at home during the holiday season. And I, I talked about campus ministry, college students. You know, they think they're so busy. I say, wait till you have kids and a job. Do what you can do now in the, in the, in the life God has given you right now. Examine things that God has put in your life in this stage. What is the work that he's giving you to do now? What does he want to do with you now? Find that and do it with all your heart. My wife, Felicia, and I have three kids. Believe it or not, at one time they were all four and under. They were all four and under. Those were some great times. You know, they always said, days go slowly but years fly by. That is absolutely true. So now I'm the old guy saying that to young fathers. But uh, our life was a little bit different then. Well, I have to tell you, our, our youngest is now a sophomore in college. And for six magical months, we were empty nesters. <laughs> Life, time to spend together, time to eat whatever we wanted to eat, time to go where we wanted to go. Of course, then COVID hit, and at the time we had two in college that got sent back home. And then one of them graduated and came back home. So, you know, we'll get there again. But there are different stages of life, and life is different in different stages. And so putting expectations on ourselves of how life is supposed to look, that's not from God. That's from society. Sometimes it can be from family members, what they think our life should look like. In every stage of life, there are things that you can do that you'll never be able to do again. The things that we did with our kids when they were little, we can never do that with them again. I hope we did well. Somebody the other day said we had nice kids, so I, I, I think we did well. But that was our ministry at that point. That was what we needed to be doing. Can you think of some wonderful times in your life? Maybe it was when you were a child or a teen in a great youth group. Maybe some of you had a magical season with an athletic team. Um, maybe you lived overseas for a few weeks or a few months or a few years. Perhaps in the early days of a relationship. Have you ever heard or perhaps said, we were poorer then, but we were happy? Uh, I've, I've, I've said that. There's a common phenomenon that we wrestled with in campus ministry, too. Um, in campus ministry, we would, we would have students, and, and we would spend a lot of time together. We would share meals together. We would have fun and go out and do things together. We would worship together. Uh, we had devotionals and mission trips and all of those kinds of things. And, and uh, we had some really dynamic and, and exciting spiritual experiences. You hear people talk about those mountaintop experiences at retreat. And then they would graduate, and they would be 22, 23, single, move away, and go to a church. There are great churches, a lot of great churches, but if you've been in that kind of relationship, it's hard to connect. 
it's hard to, to, to find that kind of home. And, and students would say, are my best spiritual days behind me? 22? Oh, it's painful. It's hard to regain the closeness of daily life. I mentioned earlier, you have a job, you get married, you have children, your time is not your own. It's hard to uh, be as involved or it's hard to serve the same ways. Maybe the congregation was different. Maybe uh, they didn't like the preaching or the singing or whatever it is, or maybe it didn't seem active. It's a depressing thought to think your best days may be behind you when you're 22, isn't it? Your time has passed. I'm here to tell you that God makes everything beautiful in its time. It might not look like it did. It might not look the same. That's okay. He created you to experience the seasons of life. He wants you to live fully and faithfully whatever your season of life. And here's the bottom line. The godly life doesn't dwell in the past. The godly life doesn't fear the future. You know, talked about all those things there is time for. There's some things there's no time for. There's no time for racism or bigotry. There's no time for pornography. There's no time to abuse one another. There's no time to, to talk behind people's backs and tear each other down. There's no time to, to get on social media and do all those crazy things that you see people doing. There's no time to fight about money. There's no time to fight about politics. There's no time to fear what may have not yet happened and may never even happen. There's no time, there's no time, there's no time to live an unfaithful life. There's no time to reject God's purpose for you. There's no time for that. Live well and wisely in the present. That is the gift of God. Honor God by enjoying the good things that he's given you. Now is the time. Live well and wisely in the present. Amen? Your homework is to ask, and to, in prayer, ask yourself, ask people close to you, what is it about this time? What is it about this stage of life? What is it about this season that you can do that you've never been able to do before and you'll never be able to do again? If we have a church full of people who are grabbing hold of that, this place is dynamite. Amen? Whenever I speak, I always, you know, I never know when I'm a guest like this, I never know if everybody here is a Christian. Everybody may be a Christian. That's okay. That's good, in fact. Um, but I never know if there's somebody who came here, maybe you're a friend or a family member or a guest, and, and uh, you don't know the gospel. So I always want to make sure that whenever we get together, if there's anybody here who wants to be become a Christian, they have the opportunity. And so I think there are some important things about the gospel. There are many. I'm going to tell you three today. First thing that is, that's important to do if you want to become a Christian is to change your mind about Jesus. You know, I don't know what you may have thought about Jesus, what you may have heard about Jesus, but Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that. And Jesus did come, as, as we've heard today in our communion time and, and other times, Jesus lived a sinless life and Jesus died 
for us so that we could become united with Christ. And so, you know, you hear a lot of things about Jesus, but do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And when we change our mind about Jesus, the Bible calls that faith. If you're looking for a good Bible word, the Bible word there is faith. But it's not enough just to change our minds about Jesus. We also need to change our heart about Jesus. I can agree that Jesus is the Son of God, but if it, if it doesn't bring about a change in my heart, then I haven't quite gotten there yet. When I talk about changing my heart, I'm talking about saying, if I believe Jesus is the Son of God, then what does that call me to do? I need to give up my ways of living and embrace God's way of living. I need to to turn away from the way I've been going and start going in the direction that God wants me to go. Um, I remember as a kid seeing the Dairy Queen with the sign, Under New Management. That's my life. It's under new management. Now I will say that particular Dairy Queen, I don't know if it improved or not, but, but my life, when I went under new management, it did. So the, the Bible word for that is repentance. When we repent, we're, we're turning away from our way and following God's way. Amen? But it's not enough to change just our mind and just our heart. We also have to change our relationship. We have to enter a relationship with God. And God has given us an amazing ceremony called baptism. And in baptism, we I'm going as basic as I can. You get dunked in the water if you're if you're not if you don't know what we're talking about. In baptism, you're you're dunked in the water. There's a pool of water right here. And when you get dunked in the water, it's, it's not taking a bath, although hopefully, you know, baths are good. But it, it, it's, it's reenacting the death and the burial of Jesus. And just as Jesus came out of the grave, if you don't know the story, Jesus was crucified, died, was buried for three days, and then he came out of the grave alive. And just as Jesus came out of the grave alive, you come out of the water with a new life. God has promised at that time he is going to forgive your sins and dwell within you through his holy spirit what an exciting thing to happen so you change your heart you change your mind said that backwards you change your mind you change your heart and then you have a new relationship with god isn't that exciting well i don't know what the tradition is here many churches at this point uh will start singing a song and uh I will stand down here, and if anybody wants to respond to this lesson, maybe you have a, a new season of life that you want to talk about, maybe you have a, a, a confession that you want to make, uh, maybe you, you have a, a new way of, that you want to look at your life now, maybe you want to express your new mind, your new heart, and enter that new relationship. Whatever we can do, you're welcome to come as we stand and sing.